Yeah. Mother Teresa, you had talked about uh, do not play, do not go after fame or status. Yeah. But uh, try and build competence and contribute something. Yeah. As someone who uh, literally has built his reputation on the number of followers he has and doing podcasts, I do see the fickleness of fame. I do see the yeah. the the unnecessary inflation that it can cause, where everyone around you knows you because you're seen. Yeah. Uh, but when you come and look at the impact that you have. You don't really have metrics to define that properly. So yeah. I just wanted to know, like, what do you mean by that? Like, are there business owners in the country who are delusionally chasing the wrong signals? Definitely. I feel what's happened today is with the growth of social media, with the opportunity that exists for everybody to live the dream of feeling like a superstar. There are some people who are driven by it, who want the stardom, who want the status. Um, and um, I think... What fascinates me and what excites me at the same time, let's just say about the entire creator economy is I'm 36. So when I look at the creators whose average age is 23, 24, 21, and I'm like, wow, this is talent. Uh -huh. This is crazy amounts of hard work. Uh -huh. Okay. Uh, it's not as easy as it looks from the outside. Um, and then when you have conversations uh, with, with these people, some, somewhere I feel if there is direction to this talent and hard work and this distribution that has been created, then it can create magic. Otherwise, if there is no direction and you can't sustain this for way too long, right? I mean, we've seen the churn of, uh, uh, of creators coming and going and there is this one person who's in the spotlight for a good amount of time and then there's somebody else who kind of reinvents the way content is done. So I'm excited about, let's just say, the creator economy. Uh, but for me, what worries me is... When early success happens and direction is not uh, created soon enough, then uh, you get distracted with the fame metrics. Like I once had a creator who has a million plus subscribers telling me, if I step out of my home and I go to a mall and nobody comes up to me and takes a selfie with me, I feel shitty about myself that day. So that's the ugly side of this game. And I think it's also unfair to a certain extent to expect a 23, 24 year old who's got that fame and reach uh, to expect them to think maturely enough. I think you got to take a few blows in life, really uh -huh. ask yourself questions and then find your own path, discover your own journey out of it. So that's for me. And that's like a warning signal. I, I keep blowing out to people saying, don't chase fame, don't chase status, be it in the creator space, be it in the startup ecosystem. Like if you, I know it's something I've spoken about so much, but for the sake of presenting my case, what I'd say is, a lot of entrepreneurs today are just chasing and celebrating valuation and fundraising, uh, which is not even like the start point of your business. I mean, yeah. you haven't even scratched the surface. Um, and there's such a long journey ahead, but that's been amplified so much that you have an ignorant younger generation of aspiring entrepreneurs who started seeing that as the benchmark and the metrics of success. Mm -hmm. And that's where my problem comes. Uh, so that's where I'm a little bit... Um, anti-status, significance, fame. Um, and I'm more pro, you know what? At the end of the day, as you evolve in life, you realize that there are very few things that matter. Your family matters. Your financial stability matters. The quality of your life matters. Your mental health matters. Your physical health matters. Your team matters. Your customer matters. Everybody beyond that is an extra in your life. And when you ground yourself in that, you're just focusing on improving your environment and your world. And I think when you improve your environment and your world, you've done enough for the world. There's conventional ways to monetize what you do. And then there is everything after that is just, you have to perform X to reap Y, right? Mm -hmm. uh, then a lot of great economy companies come in and I don't believe in them because I feel like, and it's a glorified landing page business, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You build a landing page for someone. It's like now your audience can monetize your content and, you know, yeah. you can give them exclusive content and they take away your email list and all of that. So I, I don't really like those companies too much. But when you talk about, okay, what are, what are the things that are really matter, matter, right? Maybe they make sense to someone who's older, who's like built a business before, but they don't make sense so much to someone uh, who is surrounded by, I guess, the bubble around them, right? So how does one cut through that and start focusing on these things? I think when you expose yourself to people beyond that bubble, and you kind of have this 
curiosity and openness to figure out what's the long term game really about that's mm. when you'll get these kind of perspectives obviously when you're in that bubble uh then uh, it's about uh, who has more clout at an after party at an event uh which table are people surrounding who's uh, who's the one who's uh, holding the 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 attention of people over there it becomes about that those become the yeah. metrics right uh, but i think when you expose yourself to people outside of you people who are not like you i think you get a larger perspective you kind of expand your range as a person and mm. i think those are the ones who are going to last longer and make something meaningful out of this which brings me to my next question like do you consciously hang out with other say corporate owners or business builders or are you friends outside your own domains uh i make it a point to make sure that i am interacting with people who are not like me mm. um say for example um i i have a filtration criteria of who i spend my time with i love spending time with cre- creative people mm. uh, i love spending time with spiritual people i love spending time with homemakers um i love having conversations with homemakers and i love spending time with people who are in the startup ecosystem because that's not my ecosystem i'm more from the msme ecosystem so i kind of get and develop my world view from these kind of people like i love it when i spend time with creator uh, creative people and artists because their relationship with money is so broken and i love uh, introspecting on uh, use them as a mirror to introspect on my relationship with money um and understand that how do they derive that passion where does that madness come from to immerse yourself into an art uh, which is probably not making material sense uh, so that's a perspective i love gaining from artists um i love hanging out with spiritual people and having spiritual conversations again from the perspective of understanding how do they ground themselves what are they pursuing Uh, in most cases i'm disappointed by the end of it only to realize that for most people spirituality is an escape route yeah. uh, is their lack of willingness to take responsibility either in their relationship or either towards uh, their careers or businesses or financial uh, abilities speak more to that like you mean they try to transcend from the responsibilities by taking a path where they're like i'm going to go and seek this other thing yeah yeah uh, and i'm above yeah yeah i think there is a snob value that comes with you uh, talking down on money you talking down on uh, the experiences of the material plane uh, people feel like they are levitating buddhas 3 feet above the rest of the world and everybody needs to seek sharnagati in front of them i find that very hollow and stupid yeah. um, i genuinely believe that if you want to transcend to the spiritual plane you first got to conquer the material plane uh, every saint was once a criminal and every criminal can become a saint that's the way i see it i mean um and today what's happened is spirituality has been commoditized right yeah. you can book a four day weekend retreat at an ashram and suddenly start feeling spiritual about yourself so uh, most people are just using it as a mask very few people i have been able to interact with and had conversations with who i know carry genuine depth uh, like they walk the talk they are being what they are saying otherwise most people go to these spiritual retreats and satsangs and they come back and supply to somebody else saying ye bol rahe the guru ji wo bol rahe the guru ji i'm like where's the apply why only supply kind of thing yeah. so i enjoy surrounding myself with diversity because i think that's when your perspective builds what were some money beliefs that struck you out as unusual but highly effective so i think um, the 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 big one for me back then was that uh, money is what you get for the value you add so the more value you add to more people the more money you will make if you like doska so far aapne shorts dekhe aapne podcast dekhe ab hamara clips ka channel bhi aa gaya hai jahan pe 5 7 8 9 minute wali jo bingeable clips hoti hai na sari badhiya badhiya makhan clips wo aayengi usko jaake subscribe karo make what about the fact that people for example let's just say i go out and say hey i want to release a product we're going to price it at 7000 rupees you can get it for a month something like that arbitrary number arbitrary product not defined right mm. and then i go and do some mental math and i subtract mm so like, no 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 i think too much profit is happening let's just what i'm trying to get at is is i think when people first go out to market irrespective of their uh, belief systems or money they subtract needlessly yeah. so how can people how can you get a fair price and it may be different for everyone but like how do you figure out like what is your positioning and how much money is enough for your first offering so i'll tell you 
my recommendation when i work with entrepreneurs when they start news i say first serve then sell which means first go out there and offer it at a low price it's fine okay for two reasons number one you want to build your own capability because the more you do it the better you will get so that's like your practice ground hmm. okay so you are selling it at low cost it's guilt free then okay the, otherwise if you charge high when you're just starting there is a sense of guilt that kind of takes over yeah okay so you are saying that it's easier to go to the next level and charge more which is appropriate in your head yeah. once you've gone past the guilt and the guilt will remain when you're doing this for the so first I'll time so i tell you what it's not really about going past the guilt it's actually about gaining the expertise mm. when you start something you you offer it at a price where it feels like you're serving people and you're serving for two reasons one building your own capability second building your track record okay now when you build capability build track record from a stage of being invisible where nobody knew you you start emerging your skills start emerging and you start emerging in people's eyes right now that's the time where you need to start increasing your value and i i always say this especially to uh, people who are in service based businesses or artists and creators and stuff like that i say one of the indicators of knowing when to charge more is when you hit a fatigue with what you're doing very simple mm-hmm. if you start getting pissed and bored or tired or exhausted after doing the same thing it's time you charge higher because you know what you will then feel better about doing the same thing that's the most unconventional answer i've heard to a burnout problem mostly people say take a break no i i don't think you should take a break i think you should charge more you'll feel good about yourself you you feel because what is that charging more doing to you it's not just about getting the money Yeah. It's about you now saying my value has increased. Nothing can give a person better high than knowing that their value has increased. It's a boost in your self respect, it's a boost in your self esteem, it's a bigger acceptance to yourself. And at the end of the day, I think hmm. the, the 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 biggest acceptance we all are looking for is actually from ourselves. Hmm. So, I found that as a very powerful and empowering way. When we talk about business owners in India, you've worked with a lot of MSMEs you're a yeah. big advocate of those um there might be legacy business owners the new business owners uh i want to target this specifically to a smaller group to let's just say creators or people who start making agency businesses or even service businesses from the ages of 18 to 26 18 to 30 right um what kind of business mistakes do young business owners make because i find that not everyone has the natural business pedigree that comes from seeing their parents make build businesses yeah they might find a friend doing it and they stumble upon it so they don't have the experience that say someone has like you for example who's worked in different corporate things and has experience of like organization structure timings schedules right uh sequence of activities all of that yeah when people stumble into business what kind of mistakes do they typically make in the creator space yeah i can list a huge list for you okay let's start i think uh, one very evident mistake that people uh, make in the creator space is uh, they don't build the right kind of work culture um and when i mean work culture i'm talking right from uh, having a certain sense of discipline in terms of timing uh, now people may say oh but we are millennials we are gen z's this is outdated for us i'm like don't give me cock and bull man Uh-huh. I mean get over it see you will attract talent by saying we have a flexible work culture we live in the same house we eat drink smoke up do whatever that we do in the same Here's space Here's a bean bag for you lay yeah, down yeah. and watch Netflix Yeah but let's let's face it uh it's a game of convenience you probably may attract people with that but when you have to get shit done and if a guy is not proactive you'll be carrying a lot of freeloaders in your team and you'll get pissed off with them then hmm. So who created that culture in the first place you are the one who created that culture right uh so not having the right kind of work culture right from discipline to even the way they have conversations with their team members i've i've seen creators who suddenly start feeling like they're superstars and they use abusive language and disrespect their team members just because you pay people money not like you've bought their soul okay mm-hmm. i just believe that at a workplace okay you got to make sure that the nobody is raising their voice nobody is disrespecting and talking down another person you can't character assassinate people and get work done from them that's just stupid uh so for me work culture is two components one is the discipline the other is uh, the the respect that is given to team members um and i think the ones who do well in this space 
or have uh, longer retention are the ones who really acknowledge that their team is their hero. They may be in front of the camera, but actually it's the work that is behind the camera that their team is doing that is making them look like what they are, sound like what they uh, are supposed to sound like. So for me, discipline and respect. These are two pillars um, that need to come. Second is, uh, I think what most people at that age in the creator economy don't realize is um, you can't leave a trail of sins. Okay. So if in your office, people are smoking up and you think that's a cool thing to do, uh, it's going to, uh, it's, it's going to create a vibe at the workplace. You know what? You really need to ask yourself, what's my benchmark of fame? Okay. And when I, let's just say, become a billionaire, not even a millionaire, millionaires go unnoticed in the country. But if you go, become a billionaire, okay, what there are going to be people who are going to look for shit, okay, through throw at you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what's the trail you've left behind? Okay. Like it's something that stayed with me at a very young age. My dad said something to me when I was 16. He said, never do something that can be used against you when you become extremely successful. Mm. He kind of sowed that seed. Um, people ask me, why don't you drink? Okay. I don't know. I just, it's, it's something that just stayed with me as a 16 year old. Okay. That I felt like, okay, I don't want to engage even socially in that. It's, it's a benchmark I created for myself. Now I'm not here to kind of give some preach or pravachan about no, no alcohol or no substances or whatever. It's individual's choices. But I feel as you grow, okay. And if you, if your appetite is that I want to be a billionaire, you also want to create a clean track record, a clean uh, trail for yourself. Otherwise tomorrow it's, it becomes, you become an easy target, right? You become Mm. a very easy target for things that you've done. Uh, so one is, I think it's about upholding standards about with yourself, uh, be it around substance, be it around sex, uh, uh, be it around how you treat your employees. Um, you I've seen, I mean, we've all seen some big creative houses fall during the me too movement. Right. Um, and you know, when they were doing it, there's a sense of we are invincible. Nobody Mm. will question us on this. Nobody will challenge but when you take the hit, uh, then you realize that shit, we, we, we messed up something that was beautiful, that had potential mm-hmm. because of our own vices, right? So that perspective, that longevity, if someone has, you no, know, I'm willing to bet my money on someone like that. Mm. Um, the other thing uh, I feel in I terms just wanna, of... I just want to yeah. interrupt you for, but a lot of artists would also argue at the same time um not the drinking or like the licentiousness around sex or even like uh tone a lot of artists would argue that hey but this is how i get into my rebellion mode this is how i create i need to have a a crazy undefined kind of relentless lifestyle to be able to do justice to my work what do you say to them let's say find something better my friend find something find something inside of you yeah okay uh what I'm sorry to say this, but that's a very insecure foundation on which you're trying to build your madness and creativity and your craziness. Find something which is within you. Uh, and there's so much more possible then. Uh, imagine, imagine being surrounded in an environment, in a room where everybody is engaging in, let's just say, substances, but you're sitting there and you're, you still can feel the vibe. Yeah. yeah, I know several people like that, do that. Yeah, yeah. So, and they're the life of the party. Yeah. So, I don't know, it's, it's a challenge I'm throwing at creators through this, through this platform, okay? Uh, uh, my invitations to creator parties are going to reduce out of this, but I don't <laughs> care. Okay? Um, because I genuinely feel there's so much talent, there's so much passion, there's a crazy amount of work ethic. But I'm like, man, there's that foundation missing. The other thing, mm-hmm. coming back to building a creator business, is um, I think um, what's happening with a lot of artist management agencies or influencer marketing agencies is that they are signing up artists. Uh, They're not being proactive about really pushing up the artist's profile or the creator's profile. Whatever business they are getting is because of the reach of the creator. They are essentially just uh, communication coordinators. I have not come across too many agencies being proactive saying, okay, Chalo, today I'm working uh, with a Vinamra and I want to make sure Vinamra now gets entry into this ecosystem. 
ब्रांडी ला रहे विनम्र के नाम से चलो विल सर्विस दैट दैट्स इट एंड देन व्हाट्स हैपनिंग इज बिकॉज देर इज नो वैल्यू एडिशन फ्रॉम द एजेंसी द मैनेजर हुज हैंडलिंग विनम्र इज बिकमिंग विनम्स बेस्ट फ्रेंड एंड ही लाइक ब्रो आई स्टार्ट माई ओन एजेंसी यू बी माई फर्स्ट आर्टिस्ट ओके एंड दस एंडलेस attrition that's happening over there because what's the skill set required to just play a communication role nothing anybody who's gone to a decent english medium school can become a com- uh, play a communication role because this guy has subscribers right so i feel there has to be a business value that every agency has to create for their artists hmm. like they should they should create use cases saying when i started working with vinamra he was at 660000 subscribers on youtube and he was known in this janta he was known in this audience he was attracting these kind of brand deals at this price point what's my vision for vinamra one year from now it should be the agency's vision okay mm-hmm. let the artist focus on the art let the creator focus on his creation if you are a talent management or an influencer marketing or whatever you like to call yourself then you got to treat that artist like a product and it's your job to elevate the value of that artist in a manner where even the the account manager or the artist manager or the creator manager needs to feel a sense of growth and learning saying ki bhai main agar yahi rahunga na main bahut seekhunga but if there is if this guy is doing all the dirty work but hmm. that guy is going and speaking at under 25 because he owns the agency hmm. this guy is like mere ko bhi under 25 mein baat karna hai okay and then he'll be like bhai dekh we are bhais now because we drink together i roll it for you so now you support me in my entrepreneurial journey <laughs> right so it's it's such a glaring gap and it fascinates me none of these agency owners are even seeing it bro i think you just had too many real conversations with these people so i've never heard someone say that out so loud i've never heard someone articulate it so well i i just i just see a lot of casualness in in an in an in informal sense of doing these things and and because eventually what happens is a lot of artists get isolated that they find friends in this kind of a solace of being you know informal with their agents or whatever yeah see that's where i feel um, there's there's always going to be a a glaring difference between who builds something which is going to last over here versus who's going to be ki chalo 4 saal mere artist ka run acha tha to meri agency ka run acha tha hmm. uh, and i think if someone brings these perspectives of business acumen true value addition a great team culture uh, a good career growth path for their teams as well mm-hmm. who are managing these different artists that is going to be a game changer that's going to be a force to reckon with and and so for creative businesses specifically let's just say you stumble onto a business you acquire distribution or you acquire some degree of uh, a network mm-hmm. from there most people struggle to productize uh, and if they do successfully they're not sure how to price we already discussed that but from a simply create a led business let's talk about maximizing something known as money maximizing profits and revenues mm-hmm. right uh and i'm saying this in both two cases one where the creator is clueless about running businesses can only just perform and the second where the creator has some business acumen yeah. but finds themselves struggling to spend time on the business side of things so i'll tell you i've had this conversation with so many guys so i i can kind of break it down i think the biggest uh temptation is to say no to what's easy see i'll give you a simple example i was talking to a creator one name him great potential to turn his distribution and his talent into a training and teaching business hmm. okay so for me when i talk to artists i say they have three opportunities okay so i'm it's this is like a free coaching podcast for all the creators let's go okay um one is uh, training and teaching where you monetize your knowledge uh the other is uh, trading where uh, you you pick a product line that resonates with your audience you kind of brand it and build your own brand and trade so it's, it's not like you're endorsing someone's product you're it's part, your product yeah you're yeah. partnering with a manufacturer of a product uh, which resonates with your audience and you're launching it in the market putting your name against it making it your enterprise and saying this is mine okay mm. and trade that product okay and the third is tech mm. okay so these are like three t's okay teach trade or build something tech uh which a lot of creators have good acumen for they may not be the tech guy but they've identified problems in let's just say the content that they're talking about itself uh which they could partner with a tech guy and build a tech business around it uh, like there are so many dance creators right there's yeah. so much happening in ai uh, is anyone thinking about how can dance and ai work together 
for creating something that people will use probably as filters for their reels and all of that. So there's so much opportunity there, right? So now these are three T's. These are three business pathways for a creator. What's the temptation to say no to? One is the time, like you said. They are too busy, okay? They're too busy doing what? They're too busy making appearances at places just because that appearance will give them good content for their next story, okay? I'm like, dude, please make money on your appearance. No, dude, if I start charging, then I'll lose out on appearances. Okay, then sit in your wilderness and build these businesses then. Then come, come out and, and, and make bigger noise about it, okay? So one is that just, you know, they're too busy doing so many things that are actually just for status, fame, and not really of any significant value to them, okay? Yes, it feels good when you step out that someone comes up to you and says, oh, you're Vinamra, oh, can I take a selfie with you? It gives you that moment, that, that moment feels so good. Huh? And then you can camouflage that moment into, wow, my work is making a difference, okay? But bro, that guy who took a selfie with you will never buy anything, okay? His handle is too cool, Rahul, or Papa ki pari preeti. They will never spend money on anything, okay? So, okay, you feel good about yourself, but till when? Mm. Okay, till when? When you're new, okay, say you hit 100,000 subscribers or 500,000 subscribers, till that stage, all this is fine. This vanity, this feel good is fine. But when you reach that stage of 100,000, 500,000, you need to start thinking, how am I going to play this game for the next three years? How am I going to play this game for the next five years? Okay, and that's where you got to choose one of these paths, either of teaching, trading, or Tech. Building some tech. And then you got to realize that, hey, listen, I have to be the tortoise now. I have to slow down against all these rabbits, all the other creators who are running everywhere and swallow that FOMO and build in silence. Okay. If I'm able to do that, okay, if I'm able to smile with myself and say, fuck it, let them run everywhere. Okay. I'm building this. That's when I am backing myself to build something that's going to be long-lasting. So it's really the temptation of wanting to be everywhere that one has to kill. Uh, and you got to really back yourself to build something of significant value in these three opportunities that you have as a creator. Bro, you just... Uh, I don't get stumped, but fuck. Dude, uh, you are the OG for real. <laughs> I, I, you know there's 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 one thing okay? what's up um there's one thing i learned um, from coffee <coughs> with karan people who are like how the fuck can you learn anything from coffee with karan well, you can learn so much yeah. he's one of the best yeah. interviewers yeah. known to india i remember this one episode of salman khan okay and he said uh, uh you remember this actor monish bell yeah, yeah. Who's like the older son in every Suraj Barjatiya movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Salman Khan was sharing a story about this on one of the episodes of Coffee with Karan. And he said something that uh, uh, Monish Bell, he met Monish Bell at a gym in the middle of the night once. And uh, Monish Bell had signed seven movies as a lead actor at that point of time. Um, and Monish Bell came to the gym and he was whining. He was whining saying... I am running from one set to another set. My life sucks. My this sucks. He was whining crazily. And he had a release the coming Friday. Monish Bell had a, his first release as a lead actor that coming Friday. And Salman was like, man, you're at a space that everybody would like to be. Okay. And he's like, my life sucks. He's going on complaining about it. And that Friday, that movie bombed. And all those seven offers that he had as a lead actor got withdrawn. And the rest is history. We know what happened with Monish Bell's career. And Salman said something on the lines of, I'm not directly quoting him, but it's mm. a vague memory I have of watching that episode and it's kind of stayed with me. He said that, that's when I realized the importance of work and I realized the importance of good work. Okay. And I think that's a question every creator needs to ask themselves. What is good work? What is good work for you? You're 20, 21, 22, 23. You're getting these brand deals. You're getting 4 lakhs for a reel. You're getting 8 to 10 lakhs easily money flowing in uh, every month. Your parents probably, that was their annual income. So I know you are elevating your family to a new economic strata. But if you're not going to be um, 
you know, one of the most important things that I've learned about growth is this. When you reach abundance, mm-hmm. most people celebrate abundance. When you reach abundance, instead of celebration, you got to go into conservation mode. You got to go into reinvesting mode. You got to go into multiplication mode. But if you reach abundance and you go into celebration mode, then from abundance, you fall into emergency. Mm. Because then you have to sustain a lifestyle because of how people see you. And you got to showcase what people want to see you, uh, see you as. You got to showcase that, hey, now I fly to Dubai every month. Hey, I've done the skydive. I stay at the Atlantis. You fucking don't stay at the Atlantis when you've made your first one crore. Okay? You go stay in a hostel in Burdubai or in a holiday in hotel which charges you 3,500 rupees. You conserve. You invest. Not just your money, even your time. So that you can cash in on the multiplier effect. Okay, because there will come a point people will stop watching your podcast. People will stop watching your reels. There will be fatigue. Recently, I was mm-hmm. seeing a trend. There was someone shitting on a couple of big creators. They're saying, how many of you feel that content is getting monotonous? Okay, I'm like, of course a person's content will be monotonous. Like if you ask me, I create content. I don't see myself as a content creator. I yeah. create content as an entrepreneur. And I, me and my team have a simple rule. From the time a person follows us, Within the first 19 days, we need to monetize that person. Mm. After we monetize that person, if that person unfollows us, we don't give a shit. Some of my clients tell me, Rajiv, I no longer watch your YouTube videos here because I know what you're going to say. I'm like, of course. You're my client though. Yeah, you're my client. I don't want <laughs> you to watch my YouTube videos anymore. I want you to be in coaching with me. Yeah. Right? So you got to know what you are building, which is beyond the distribution. Okay? Distribution's great, but that's mm. the first step. You've got it right now and cash it in the right way. What's also very strange about something you said earlier is you've got to be the tortoise when everyone's trying to be the hare, yeah. right? And this is despite the fact that the creator life or the creative life is sought out to be this escape from the nine to five, mm. escape from the rat race. And yet, once you get into it, a lot of it becomes the same rat race. Yeah, it becomes the rat race because you're chasing... Or you're, you're chasing visibility. I'm saying chase value. What is your value? Put a, put a, put a number to it. Think this mm. is what I want to create. Okay. Um, I was talking to a, a rapper. Okay. One name him. And he was saying, he doesn't think 1 crore, 2 crores, 10 crores, 20 crores. He thinks 200 crores. And I'll tell you, I... I have spoken to a couple of other rappers who are still stuck in Bhai Mera Art hai. I know too many as well. Right? Bhai Art hai, theek hai. You validated to yourself that you're good at your art. That's why you have the distribution. Ab tum us art pe fart kar rahe ho by not thinking the next level game. Right? And I think that's so important. So then let's talk about this honest, painful conversation, which is the stuff of a lot of uh, self-help journals, a lot of these things where like, you don't do an honest audit with yourself. Mm. Sit down and realize what you're good at, what you're bad at, that kind of stuff. When I've done it and I've heard other people do it, it's very hard to audit yourself because you end up doing some kind of a weird SWOT analysis and it doesn't really go anywhere. What's the right way to do it? Self-audit is self-justification. You'll find every reason to validate your decisions. Okay, you'll have a funda for everything. There's a funda for everything in life. Okay, am I saying what I'm saying is the absolute truth? May not be. I have genuinely also met people who you can't box in monetization and thinking economy. And I've genuinely told such people, please don't box yourself. You are a free spirit, live like one. But I'll tell you, there are many who camouflage and call themselves free spirited to cover up their irresponsibility. Yeah. Right? Um, so, um, yeah, so what will be on? I just, you were talking uh, about how to then honestly do an audit where you realize what you're good at. Say you've, you've one, yeah. who you surround yourself with. Hmm. Very important. Okay. Um, I feel, uh, the quality of a creator is created by the quality of their peer circle. Now, if everybody is only having conversations at a party about, uh, uh, Iske itne follower, ye trend tha, isne ye kiya. Then okay, you're only going to maximize that skill or yeah. that capability. 
so who you who you spend time with is very important okay talk to another entrepreneur talk talk to an entrepreneur who's not from the creative space mm. okay do you have mentors there who are not from the creative space and who are like theek hai bhai ho gaye tere 500000 subscriber ab bata next kya they are uncomfortable with that question mm. they are very uncomfortable with that question because it's a very linear path it's mm. after a while i think it becomes very easier for a creator to just acquire more and more audiences you become yeah. an audience hacker yeah you know and like asking someone to step down from that and decide ki hey it's time to reorient yourself it's an uncomfortable conversation because it forces you to get out of get out of your hubris so i'll tell you uh, this is a rule not just for creators but for any entrepreneur right um i always say this just being good at your product or service is not good enough to build a successful business hmm. in the creator space their creation whatever they are creating that's their product or service hmm. just being good at that is not good enough to build a successful business um i think beyond the product or service skills one has to focus on the business skills and if you ask me what's the business skill model is a your business model is very very important how are you going to monetize what's going to be your structure what's going to be the 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 reach or the scale you can create out of that model so your model is important your marketing of that model is important i think for creators marketing is not the challenge because as a result of their skill they've created that distribution and then your operations is important mm. and that operations encompasses your team how do you build a team how do you retain a team how do you grow that team uh, so i think for most people what happens is when you're good at one thing now to get down from the pedestal and learn something else and then go through the rejection in that something else and then get right at that is something that most people don't want to do mm. uh it's it's like this right i mean why would you allow your ego to get bruised uh so many times so many times uh which actually you've gotten your ego bruised through this journey hmm. okay to develop your craft you've gotten your ego's bruised but that time you didn't have anything okay now you have this okay hmm. now the question is what what kind of a what kind of a mountain climber are you are you the climber who reaches a hilltop and say i'm done or are you the climber who reaches the first hilltop and say okay that's my next peak then that's my next peak and that's my next peak and to climb the next peak you need to realize that you need to go down this valley and climb the next peak right most people are not willing to go down the valley they are willing to take selfies at this hilltop and say i climbed this mountain right that's the challenge yeah and that's not just for creators it's even for entrepreneurs i as draw the same parallel with businesses that are stable and are doing well for themselves always say you are doing well for yourself because you're good at the product or service it's the goodwill of the product or service that is getting you customers what about the marketing what about the model what about the the operations what about the sales what about the money management hmm. and most people who are stable are at a stage where that one thing is doing well enough for them mm. but i say that's the difference between stability and scale mm. you got to conquer all these peaks in business that's when you'll reach mount everest and so one thing you often talk about is building systems and earlier before we started the podcast we were talking about and i've been uh, you know uh, subjected to this i've been uh, guilty of this where i have invested in all these elaborate saas based tools is ai based tools and i've tried to do a top down approach when i'm like hey we're so going to start using this tool now from now on yeah, we'll use yeah. it and, and then often, you face a backlash from the team no compliance on those tools usage uh, there is compliance uh, but then it's either the system breaks down immediately because it's more optimized for the tool as opposed to what's the requirement of the business exactly i was hoping that you would speak more to that because there's too many businesses out there who are advertising to people that you're going to save your time if you do use this See, tool. i'll tell you my theory okay i talk to business owners so my profile of audience is even a retail shop owner who's selling groceries to a manufacturing giant okay there's a very wide variety and i always say this about systems the moment people use the word systems they somehow think systems equals technology automation mm. right and there's a sexiness attached to tech automation Yeah. Okay? Um and there's a unsexiness to the fact that if you're not tech savvy or you're not using technology to grow your business. Uh it's a narrative created by those who create tech. Simple as that. Okay? It's a propaganda and a narrative. It's like some kind of casteism. Yeah. Okay? Ki tum tech savvy ho ya tum tech ignorant ho kya bhai tumhe tools ke bare mein pata nahi and all of that. Unki dukaan chalti hai usse tumhari dukaan chalegi nahi chalegi unko farak nahi padta. Theek hai? I always say this the first stage in building systems is to first think what will work for you and 
list it out in a step-by-step sequential manner for your business. Okay. Now you can list it on pen and paper. You can list it on a basic word document or an Excel sheet. Run your systems on Excel sheets or notebooks first. Okay. Because then you are, then your, uh, your systems are generative, not prescriptive. Hmm. See, if you're subscribing to a SaaS tool, it's like you're buying a medicine off the shelf. Okay. It's a prescription. The fields of data that they capture are the fields of data you'll start thinking are important for your business, which may not be. Right? So first you be generative. Systems are built in conversations with your team by laying out a step-by-step sequence of activities on how it is to be done so that there's a predictable result coming out of it. Right? Most people don't do the brain work. They don't think. They don't detail this out putting pen to paper. They don't construct this on basic Excel sheets. Run it on basic Excel sheets and you will still see flaws that what you created was a version one. Okay. Correct it. See what's working, what data points are important, what data points are not important. See which reporting templates are becoming very cumbersome where your team is sitting and becoming a data entry operator rather than doing the job. Mm. Right. Simplify it. Then after that, once you have a proven simplified framework, which is capturing what's relevant. Okay. And it's not complicating the work of the team. Then you have something that is a sustainable system. Let that system run. Then you go to a tech and see how they can build it based on the fields you want to capture, based on the sequence of activities that you are, you have proven to yourself that it works. Mm. Then automation makes sense. But if you're directly going for automation, okay, then what is going to happen is you're going to be slave to the tool. Then you'll start feeling like, okay, Oh, wow, this tool has so many fields. Baba, those so many fields are not relevant to you. Okay. Uh, so I just feel people love complicating things to themselves. Uh, yeah. And if you just stick to what, what works, what's necessary, uh, then you will be smarter in adapting tools. Uh, one of the biggest, I think I, I was reading a study by Gartner and Cohen. They said uh, one of the biggest wastage or leakage of expenses that businesses have had in the last 10 years is a technology. But would, you, would they also not argue that has made their lives better, easier? Uh, if, uh, if you have been able to find something that's relevant for you. Yeah. Surely that is a challenge because at some point... I and I think a, all I'm saying is automate. But generate then automate. Hmm. Don't take a prescribed automation. Right. Because that can shape the change. That, that can alter the way your business runs. That can alter hmm. your capabilities. That can remove you from a strong, stable foundation to something that is entirely of a coder's making in a company. Yeah. yeah. You know, with, with no control on that. And what about delegation? Because this is a particularly hot topic. Uh, it's controversial for a lot of people because, and you see this in your ads as well. You know, like, you know, typically when you do your ads, you talk about uh, how you're a business owner, you're done doing everything yourself, but you can't delegate. Is this the most common problem you've seen when you, uh, and and when it comes to delegation, what is bad delegation? What is good delegation? So I'll tell you, I'll link this to what we spoke earlier. Most entrepreneurs or creators, whatever context you'd like to have this conversation in, are good at their craft. They're good sure. at their product. They're good at their service. What right? about entrepreneur operators who can do both? Now, most of them are good at their craft. Very few of them then build teams, systems, to kind of leverage the team and system to increase the scale. So what I usually talk about is that if you're good at your craft, there's a certain benchmark of quality that you carry on how that craft has to be delivered, right? Great. But if that, okay, puts you into a disease called perfection syndrome uh-huh. um, and you start believing that nobody can do this like the way you can do it, then you're screwed for life, Okay. Because then you kind of locked yourself in a jail and you've thrown the key somewhere else. Okay. Now for me, if you ask me, uh, Rajiv, what should be a bigger priority for an entrepreneur? Uh, I would say perfection creates mediocrity. Mm -hmm. Uh, Progress mindset is what creates scale. Mm. Right. In a progress mindset, you got to be willing to get things wrong. Okay. Now, what ends up happening is in the context of delegation is when we delegate work to our teams, okay, it is a natural truth that people will not do the work the way you can do it. Now, if that kind of shakes your foundation 
and you go into this mode of attacking your team and assassinating their character saying what the fuck i gave you work i trusted you this you didn't do a great job and then you go into this control freak saying that's why i got to do it because nobody can do it like the way i can do it and you take the reins back from them you're not allowing them to fail and you're not allowing them to grow okay and you are becoming a control freak in the process now is one may argue saying but raji my reputation's on the line okay if I don't deliver at a certain quality my reputation go down the truth is this most people worried about their reputation don't have a reputation you having 10 20 30 50 80 100 paying customers is not called a reputation i'm talking about building global brands okay and i'm saying mess it up in the initial stages it's fine but it's better for you to build a team okay and then scale the distribution than to becoming a control freak and becoming a slave of your own practice right so i genuinely believe that firstly uh, if you want to be effective at delegation you got to create a runway for failure for people mm. if you're not willing to create that runway for failure then there's no chance you can scale right it should not be so high stakes that they have to walk on a tight rope yes mm. because then it becomes all about you but then what would you say to uh, situations where great um let's just say team members are born like what would you say like for example working at gordon ramsay's kitchen let's take that mm. you know that he's got a foul temper but he you know like or for example something that is ex- extremely prestigious where there is little scope for failure when it's high stakes does that not make diamonds so i'll i'll tell you what high stakes are good pressure is good okay diamonds are made under pressure itself but i think there's there's a uh, too much uh, there's too much undue importance given to high stakes like you see most people who are at low stakes will give a analogy to themselves of high stakes and say that's why i'm doing everything by myself okay did you get what i said yeah like, yeah, yeah. yeah it's like this gordon ramsay's example is great but are you at the stage of gordon ramsay yeah so don't behave like him right now right he made it okay but that's not the only way to make it where you you abuse the shit out of people there are more peaceful calmer meaningful no, ways no i don't mean abuse yeah. i mean like for example i was really talking about like a kind of kitchen where like you are at a michelin five star restaurant yeah, yeah, yeah. and that reputation is on the line yeah. so you've got a chef in uh who if they fuck up they lose a star yeah. i'm talking about that yeah so in that kind of an environment firstly you see you want to bring in people who will put you at the risk of losing that star right you'll bring in seasoned people mm. but you want bring in a fresher there so they are they are sourcing talent at a certain level already mm. what i'm talking about is in the context of most businesses okay you're not yet at that high stakes so you got to create that runway of failure mm. okay now of course like i'll give a simple example i'll give my example okay today we have a 75 member team we have 38 full time business coaches i don't do any one to one coaching it's my coaches who work with the entrepreneur at a one to one level for a period of 9 10 months or 12 months based on the objective you're coaching the entrepreneur on stakes are high okay so the coach cannot give a random recommendation which will lose money for an entrepreneur mm-hmm. stakes are equally high so what do we have in the process we have a system when we hire a coach on our team for the first 6 months that coach is not given a client for the first 6 months that coach is shadowing a senior coach is essentially being paid to learn and after 6 months he is doing his first session where there's a senior coach who's going to be sitting in that session it's the cost i am willing to incur to offer quality mm. but i didn't play the game saying i i could have played the game saying i don't think we can develop coaches i'll be the only one who'll coach what would be the scale of my operations it'll be rajiv managing 20 businesses at the maximum today these 38 coaches ma- manage 700 800 business simultaneously so i'm saying for scale you need to delegate and if the stakes are high you need to be willing to invest in the process of development okay mm-hmm. of people for most people it doesn't make sense i pay my coaches a salary of lakh lakh and a half minimum imagine leaking 6 6 to 7 and a half lakhs over a period of 6 months without monetizing that person okay being at the risk that after 6 months there can be some guy who may feel oh now that i've learned it i can go out there and do it by myself 
Okay. But that's the that's the investment I'm willing to make to build something at scale. Did you acquire this all over the years, or does? Um, I think uh, it's it's come through one observing businesses that have done well. Okay. Yeah. My biggest. Did you shadow other businesses as well to understand? Yeah, this? like I was those three hundred interviews I did between October two thousand fourteen to December two thousand fifteen was really my research project to understand what works. How can you build something of scale and value? So, my learning comes from there. Second is, I think my learning also comes from uh, having clarity of what we want to stand for. So, I'm very clear what I want to stand for. If I charge X, I need to deliver 10x to a client. Mm. Okay, uh, so that is one thing that I stand for. Second, I never want to be the one delivering and doing the work by myself. I want to be the entrepreneur. Okay, people look at me as a business coach. Reality is, I don't coach even one business by myself. I am building the world's largest business coaching company. Hmm. I am not looking at being the best business coach in the world. Very clear about it. Uh, if you ask me, Rajiv, who do you see yourself as? Do you see yourself as a business coach, or do you see yourself as an entrepreneur? I'll say entrepreneur. I see myself as an entrepreneur because I know for a fact uh, that. Um, if you want to make impact at scale, then uh, you got to detach yourself from the craft. Mm. And I've learned that lesson very, very strongly over the first eight, 10 years of my business. Eight, 10 years was only love for the craft. I love training by myself. Okay. Do I love training? Yes, I do. Now I've like, for me, I've kept it as, okay, in a, in a month, three days, I'll do training because if I don't do it, I'll fall sick. Yeah, my body needs to experience that, but at the same time, the way I've structured the model is it—it's designed for scale. It's designed for impact. Okay, so I think that clarity comes through making mistakes. And what? So you—you you basically detach yourself, and now you've got other coaches doing it. What does it require to start hiring people who are better, smarter, intelligent, faster than you? And allowing them to run free. I think uh, one of the most important things is at the risk of sounding repetitive, I think I just mentioned it. It's detachment to the craft. Yeah. Um, if you are so attached to the craft that your ego takes over and you want to be the smartest person in the room, then you will repel talent. Mm. Uh, but if you're like, hey, I want to build an ecosystem where the best craftsmen come, then you'll attract talent. Like the problem I'm solving for my team on why they are here, why wouldn't they leave is, is a very simple thing. These people love coaching. They love making a difference to entrepreneurs. They hate marketing and selling. So I say, I'll solve that problem for you. I will make you enough money like you would as an entrepreneur. Okay. With the scale and the volumes that we will do. And I will give you an opportunity to do what you love every single day. Good proposition for that. You also tweeted about how it's very important to align everyone if you want to win, right? Mm -hmm. What do you do when people in a team or your stakeholders or even your customers are at cross purposes? How do you make sure as a leader that you can all be leading in the same direction? Um, it's a very simple thing. If we are not aligned, we shouldn't be on that team or you shouldn't be my customer. It's a, it's a very clear thing. Like, there have been sometimes we come across customers who come and say, Rajiv coach karega, tohi hum aayenge. Matao. Simple. Matao. You're a liability to me. You'll say, chalo tum log coaching ka das lag le raho, mein ek karod dunga. But mujhe Rajiv chahi. Nahi chahi tera ek karod. Because it's not in alignment with my direction. Okay? It's not in alignment. Very clear about that. And you said that context at the start of a call? Everyone mm. knows that. Today they don't even ask. Mm. I've, it's reached a stage where people know that if you're going to take coaching from Rajiv Talreja's organization, the content will be taught by Rajiv Talreja. The handholding mm -hmm. will be done by his coach. So you're getting Rajiv Talreja for what Rajiv Talreja is good at. You're getting a coach for the, what the coach is good at. Uh, I don't mean the coaching part. I mean, yeah. specifically, say, even in a business decision that you're taking, right? Yeah. Uh, how do you constantly establish alignment in a team? Do you have to over communicate? Do you, are you, uh, do you have a tagline written down? Uh, what if those conversations are difficult, uh, what does that look like? 
so for us uh, we uh, we we built a value system that is developed through conversations with the team so if you step out of this room there's a wall right there where our core values are there now in most organizations core values are uh, flowery words written by a content writer for the website or for the reception area here it's not that here what we do is we get our teams together once in two years because i feel every two years your culture kind of needs to be rewritten mm-hmm. and we get people to list situations that occur at the workplace where relationships become resistant and situations that occur at the workplace where results get compromised mm-hmm. because at the end of the day for me the essence of a good workplace is a balance between result and relationship work should get done and it should be done in a manner where it's a respectful environment for everybody that there's growth for everybody and everybody feels taken care of now so when we list situations where relationships get compromised and results get compromised those are real time situations that the team is encountering and experiencing then so that's stage 1 identify where culture is getting violated stage 2 is get them to now brainstorm when the situation occurs what is our way and what is not our way mm. let them brainstorm together in teams so they sit and list out saying okay uh, relationships get compromised when someone's taking undue credit okay so then let them discuss in groups what is what should be our way what is not our way uh, and then they kind of in a very colloquial way describe it saying ki if someone's taking undue credit we should call out that behavior but at the same time it shouldn't carry a grudge like go into very basic articulation now you take what they have generated as our way not our way mm. and then you kind of see the pattern of of what are they essentially expressing as our way like i'll give you an example uh, one of our core central fulcrum of our culture is win 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 mm. okay everybody talks about win win which is well propagated by stephen covey in his seven habits of highly effective people here we talk about win 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 there are three layers of winning customer has to win what is the win for the customer more value than the money that they've paid mm. okay team member has to win what is the win for the team member financial growth career growth quality of life now in most organizations they wouldn't even want to talk about this open mm. they wouldn't like to talk about financial growth of their team members or career growth most business owners will have this unke sar mein ye kyu dale chal raha hai chalne do here we talk about financial growth career growth and quality of life of our team then we talk about business owners win what is the that's the third win what is the business owners win time freedom from day to day firefighting you give me space so that i can create the future okay and that's when i can give you financial growth financial growth for the business owner i'm unapologetic about the money me and my business partner take mm. okay it's for the risk that we put in it's very transparent for my team okay and finally brand growth because at the end of the day what gives the highest high to a business owner is more reach and more impact right now now we've articulated win 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 as a core philosophy so in every situation in every conversation if any of these three stakeholders win is getting compromised we call it out okay mm. and it's something that we have initiated as entrepreneurs in the workplace so it's become a norm now okay it's become a norm now like our team members will call out if we are making a decision let's just say that's not going to be in the highest value of the customer we'll say how is this win for the customer they'll challenge that okay so it's a constant conversation which is alive it's not just words on the website okay now we've made win 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 the center then we said okay the balance is results and relationships so for results now based on the pattern of situations that have come up they've come up with uh, situations like um goal first team second individual third which means that in any situation you put the goal first you put your peers second uh-huh. and you put individual first now i'll give you a situation say for example there's a design that has to go out to a client from here and the designer says bro i'm leaving at 5 o'clock okay the sales guy can question him saying are you putting goal first or yourself first okay mm. now uh say the client has said tomorrow i need the design and the sales guy is like we need to send the design the designer is like no 5 o'clock i have to leave kind of thing in that situation because there is this conversation that has been articulated discussed and created from the team the sales person has leverage in that situation to question saying are you putting goal first or yourself first now if this guy says fuck you i don't care i'm putting myself first do what the hell you want 
That's a clear escalation, right? He can escalate the matter to his manager or whoever on the team. And the manager can bring it to the awareness saying, what's happening? Now, if the guy, just because it's escalated to the manager, says, okay, okay, I'll do it. The manager doesn't leave that conversation. He says, when he brought it to your awareness, what was your problem to comply? So it's not just like the manager is the savior. Mm-hmm. It has to be peer to peer. That's the level of accountability. Now, one may argue saying, but isn't that on the compromise on the quality of the life of an individual? If he has to stay back till late and work. Right. Okay, how is this win-win-win? Which is a fair argument. So that's where there's a benchmark saying, okay, if this happens, say twice a month or thrice a month where someone has to stretch, it's okay. It's acceptable. Okay. Mm-hmm. We are not a coffee shop where everybody's coming together to hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Okay. We are willing to stretch. We are willing yeah. to put goals first. But if this is happening, say two, three times in a week with a person, then we are not being a win-win-win organization. Mm-hmm. Then we need to bring in systems of build more bandwidth or not give unreasonable commitments to clients. So all these distinctions that we've created work in, uh, in integration with each other. Um, so then we are like, okay, then we got to own up. If he's been staying up till late every single day, then it's, it's not win-win-win towards him. Mm. So I think for us, culture is, is concepts being cross-pollinated and creating the best experience that is possible. It can't be perfect. It is dynamic. Hmm. But it is developed through the conversations with the team. Yeah. And it's then spoken as language. So it's not something that you once sat down and wrote down in a word doc. This no, is my culture. No, 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 no. And then you're like, guys, this is my culture. And you put it down. And no. because it seems to me when you say it, you embody it. I really yeah. believe that. I don't think that this is some something you learn in a book and say, these are my five values. I really yeah. believe what yeah. you're saying. Um, how does it get permeated all the way down? Especially because in Rajiv, my, my problem is, at first, you don't believe your own BS when you were like, yeah, you know, yeah. like putting like, I'm going to believe in this and yeah, my yeah. team is going to believe in yeah. this. How do you actually make sure that you start embodying it? So I think your culture to a large extent is also a representation of your values, who you are. Um, and so if today we have nine distinctions there, win, win, win is the center. There are four distinctions for results, four distinctions for relationship, like goal first people, second individual, third is one of the distinctions. And do people not find this... Um, restrictive or boring so i'll tell you that's where every two years the reinvention happens okay like we recently worked we've worked on the culture in november uh last year and before that there were only four distinctions there yeah uh, those four distinctions were there all these years because they were relevant to the context of the business okay like i'll give a simple example when we started building our team we started with four or five people now when we were four or five people uh, and we were in the early stages our culture conversations were very result oriented. So we had goal first, people second, individual third. We had fail fast, fail differently because we are new. So we were like, okay, look, we got to fail fast and we got to fail differently. So we're not going to judge each other on failures. uh, But at the same time, you can't fail the same way. Hmm. It can't be a cost for the business again and again. Okay. So we had fail fast, fail differently. We had uh, express and in express, we'd broken down everything first debate. Mm. Okay, and then discuss pros and cons and then make a decision and then disagree and commit if you're in the minority. So mm. I disagree to the idea, but I commit to the team. Okay, so I'll play, I'll go all in. And we had uh, over communicate, ask when not clear, tell when uh, not asked and always respond to every communication. Now, these were result distinctions which were relevant when the team was four or five people. Okay, mm. and we lived with it. We grew with it till we reached 60 people. Now, when we had 60 people in the office and we had only these result distinctions with win-win-win, suddenly our team started accusing us saying, you're not really win-win-win. Like, why? And they're like, uh, oh, this happened. My, uh, my, there was an emergency in the family and the, my manager told me, uh, go first. Now, that's when it hits you saying, we are now we are now misusing what we built ourselves on. Okay. Um, and then you get everybody together and you're saying, okay, guys, this worked for us till here. Now, what's our next level? Tell me when results and relationships get compromised. So people listed situations. Now we added relationship distinctions. Mm. Uh, we said people above process. That, that put people above process. So now it is, it's kind of create. It's kind of creating a, what do you say? A, 
you, you're creating polar opposites. What, at one level, you're saying goal first, people second, individual third. On the other level, you're saying people above process. Okay, uh, now this creates dilemma, right? Is what most people would think. It doesn't. It doesn't. It gets people to find a middle path between the two. Hmm. That, and that's where the debate happens in a situation. Say one person says, uh, we're not putting goal first. The other person argues saying, but we got to put people about process. So in this situation, how can we marry these two principles and what decisions can we create so we are on the same page? Yeah. It creates a very enriching workplace. Yeah, because otherwise people are not animals. They, don't, they, they yeah. won't operate in black and yeah. white. They yeah. want the contradiction that they can wrestle within yeah. their head. Yeah. And arrive at something that they felt like they arrived at on their own. So result and relationship is that contradiction. Then those yeah. conversations are the contradictions. And then people have to play with it every single day and intellectually stimulate themselves to see how do we find that balance. Dude, uh, I don't think people think about this at all. I don't think... I've been to a lot of uh, places uh, in the last year or so uh, at different offices. Uh, but culture is a joke. And I think you take it quite seriously. And Let me put it this way. Hmm. That's our only X factor. That's yeah. our only moat. That's the way I look at it. That's my only moat. Otherwise, um, I'm essentially in an industry where the entry point is so low that any team member can become a solo coach by himself or herself. Mm. Why are they here? They're here because they're getting career growth. They're getting financial growth. They're getting a high quality workplace. And what would you say to people who have a hard time doing this? But I was earlier talking to you about people who stumble into businesses who didn't yeah. know, right? Because you've been in this industry or at least at the peripheries or have like worked as a corporate, you know, like these things, these terms come more intuitively to you, right? Mm. Uh, for people who are brand new, like how can they start creating culture? Watch this podcast, reach out to my team, sign up for coaching with us and get a coach for your business. Simple awesome. as that. Awesome. And I think it's a wonderful uh, place to end as well. Honestly, dude, I had a blast. I think you answered all these secret selfish questions that I'd got from my own business uh, and you answered them so excellently. And uh, I'm so glad that I'm ending my Bangalore tour with uh, you, this podcast, and this lovely office. Where can people follow you and find you? Um, I'm on the internet. You just search Rajiv Taleja. I have a YouTube channel that I'm building for entrepreneurs. I'm on Instagram. I'm active on Twitter. So just R-A-J-I-V-T-A-L-R-E-J. Awesome. This was Rajiv Taleja. And my mind is blown. This was Dostcast. See you all next Tuesday or Friday whenever the next episode comes out. Take care. Bye-bye. Sayonara. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you so much.